0: God is good. Yes. All right, I'm going to get you all ready. I say God is good, you say all the time, then we reverse it. You ready? God is good. All the time. All the time. God is good. Folks, that's true. When We don't think so. We don't feel like it, and the circumstances don't dictate it. God is still good all the time. Amen? Amen. Amen. Wow, what a privilege to be here. Thank you for the worship and the music. Uh, it's an honor to be here. I, the first time I ever was here was 20 years ago. Uh, Scott and I were talking about 1999, so I've been coming here over 20 years, so proud of your church, your staff. Uh, I just told Scott, it's amazing how young your staff really is to have been here so long. And then I said to him, y'all were really young when you started. And he said, thank you. But Jonathan's been here a long time, Kevin has been here a long time, they couldn't get enough Kevin, so they got another Kevin, and uh, they got Kevin Knight and Scott, and uh, by the way, Kevin uh, is Irish for handsome, so y'all wanted a lot of handsome, so you got two Kevins. Um, So I appreciate that. No, these guys are friends, and um, it's a privilege to be here. Uh, I bring you greetings from uh, the Little River Baptist Association, uh, where I serve now, and um, we're trying to plant churches and send people all over the world. We're growing like crazy. We're between Raleigh and, Fuqu- or Raleigh and Fayetteville, so we got all of Raleigh pouring in the north part of the county. We got all the military from the bottom, so we're planting military churches and trying to send those people all over the world. So uh, that's kind of where I'm at. Uh, I'm going to uh, get started here, and I want to ask you right off the, the bat just to think about something. Who's your one? Who is it that you're praying for? Who is it that you're trying to reach? Who it is that you're reaching out to? I know that you've probably heard about this theme. This is our national theme that J.D. Greer is promoting. But I want to put a little twist on it, and I want to go ahead and give you my invitation. I'm going to ask you, who's your friend? Who's your friend, your relative, your associate, your neighbor? Who's that person that's a friend of yours, a relative of yours, associate at work or school, uh, or in some of the things you're a part of? Or who's your neighbor that you need to be praying for, reaching out to, inviting them to church, bring them with you? And who do you need to be sharing with? So we're going to be talking about that today. My topic that I'm going to talk about today is conversational evangelism. Uh, You can tell people anything you want to as long as you keep it a conversation. It's back and forth. It's a dialogue, not a monologue, and we'll talk about that. We're going to look at Acts 2, Acts 17. My website, martydupree.org, has lots of free resources. One of the things I noticed in your bulletin is that you've got praying moms, praying grandmoms. I've got a lot of prayer resources. If you go to Marty Dupree, click on Resources and click on How to Pray for Your Children. Uh, it's There's two pages there, and it's categorized, like Relationship with God, Relationship with Friends, Protection, um, and they're a scripture, and you're just praying scripture in categories. And then the guy that discipled me with Campus Crusade for Christ, Byron Peters, I talked to him actually on Friday. Um, he gave me a list of 31 things to pray scripture for your children. So use that resource, uh, and I know that's something that you all are doing. Introduce my family to you. I have five children, and yes, that will increase your prayer life. <laughs> Uh, starting on the right side, moving right to left, my oldest son and his wife, Logan, uh, those are my two grandchildren, uh, Adeline and J.T. Dupree, uh, kind of like you, you're J.T., and um, they live in Cherryville, he, he was a, a captain in the U.S. Army and started having babies and Ross he needed to get out of the Army, and uh, so they live in Cherryville, and then my wife and I are in the middle there, Angela, we've been married 32 years, I've been in ministry 32 years. Uh, she's the best thing that happened to me since Jesus. Amen. Amen. And then my youngest son, Dawson, uh, is a freshman at East Carolina. My youngest daughter, Harper and White, she's 15 and uh, involved in sports, plays three sports. And then The one in red, Darcy just got engaged, and she's a nurse at Duke. She's in surgical ICU and trauma. And then Courtney and Al live in Charlotte. I stayed with them last night. And Courtney is in human resources in the Bank of America downtown in in grad school at Wake Forest. So uh, beautiful picture, but just to give you some levity to the whole thing. Four of my five kids have learning challenges that they've had to overcome. So miraculously, by the grace of God, three of them are already out of college, and some have grad degrees. So uh, that's a miracle of God, and I'm so thankful. Now, I'll tell you a funny story about that. There's my grandkids, so I've got to uh, got to show you that. But as we uh, as we jump into the message, I want to tell you a fun story, we'll get started. We were trying to have family devotions one night. I was trying to get everybody to sit down, shut up, be quiet so we could pray, and um, this was... Probably when Dawson was about five. So this would have been about 14, 15 years ago. Harper was a baby. And Dawson was running around and around and around in the family room like a feral animal. I couldn't get him to sit down, sit up and be quiet. And that's all I was trying to get him to do is be quiet so we could pray. And I said to my wife, I said, wow, he has high testosterone. And one of the girls says, mom, is that a disease? <laughs> she said, yes. That's, <laughs> that's why you stay away from boys. Well, in the middle... <laughs> In the middle of that crazy, funny moment, just as only God could do, God put it on my heart. Ask your kids to pray for these five things that'll guide your prayer time. Number one, praise and thank the Lord for something, attitude of gratitude. Pray for a continent of the world to be reached for the gospel. There's seven of us, seven continents. Pray for missionaries or ministries that we read their prayer letter. Pray for our church staff. We have a similar sized church and similar church staff as you do. Keep them covered in prayer. And then pray for a neighbor who's lost without Christ. So praise and thank the Lord. Attitude of gratitude, pray for continent to be reached, missionaries and ministries, church staff, and a lost neighbor. And you know what? God blesses his own stuff. God doesn't necessarily bless my stuff or your stuff. I know this isn't good English, but it's good truth. But God does bless his own stuff. Amen? And since that time, my kids have been in 18 different countries on mission trips. They've literally been all over the world. I was excited to hear what you had to say. Shay Shay. <laughs> so it was exciting. But you know what, Chris uh, Schofield, I'm sure you've heard Chris Schofield before, uh, he has a saying, and I really like that. He said, you tend to act on what you pray towards. So what are you praying about? What are you praying towards? You tend to act on those things. You tend to focus on the things that you pray the most about. So I want to encourage you to be praying for people that you know uh, that are without Christ or you're concerned that they're without Christ. So as we talk this morning, we'll be thinking about those things. Let's join our hearts in prayer. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for this beautiful morning. Father, thank you for the worship. Thank you for the opportunity to gather together with your people in this place. Father, may you be glorified. May your kingdom purpose be accomplished. May Jesus be exalted. And Father, may you capture our hearts this morning. Father, open our hearts to be receptive. Open our eyes to see things you want us to see. Open our ears to hear your voice speak into our very heart. Father, whatever attitudes that we have, help us to know your attitude as you love us but you hate our sin because you are a holy God. Father, uh, release us from all the distractions and all the sins that beset us and transform our lives that we would not be conformed to this world. We would not be conformed to churchianity. But Lord, we would be conformed to biblical Christianity and the image of your son Jesus. Father, we commit this time. If there's anyone here today who's never surrendered to Jesus, may today be the day of surrender and salvation. Father, for all of us who know you, may we grow in the grace and the knowledge of Jesus as Savior and Lord living for you, for your glory. We thank you. We praise you. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Several summers ago, I had one of the most interesting witnessing weeks I've ever had. I ran into three young people from California. They're all about 20 or 21 years old. All three of them, Wendy, Jason, and Kevin. I ask them all the same question, which is my favorite kind of question to ask people. Do you have any particular Spiritual beliefs. And when I asked that question to them, all three of them basically gave me the same answer. They said, no, sir, I don't have any particular beliefs, but I believe there's something out there. I believe there's something out there. Folks, we live in a world that doesn't know whether or not there really is a God or not, but they know there's something out there. And the reason they know that is because Ecclesiastes 3.11 says that God has set eternity in the heart of every human being. So every human being, by the design of God, knows that there's something out there. Amen? Amen. And so we're built for that. And so just keep that in mind. And and so I'm going to tell you each of these stories kind of like vignettes. Wendy, Jason, and Kevin. Um, I got on an airplane. I was flying back from uh, Dallas, Texas. And I was, um, Guillermo Soriano was across the aisle from me. And this young lady named Wendy comes and sits down. We start talking. Wendy, where are you from? California. Where do you go to school? San Jose State University. Where are you majoring in? English and political science. What brings you to North Carolina? Coming to a conference in Chapel Hill. Now, obviously, I'm just giving you the outline of the conversation. We didn't talk that fast. And, um, and so I asked her, I said, Wendy, do you have any particular spiritual beliefs? And she kind of looked at me and said, no, sir, I really don't, but I, I believe there, there might be something out there. I really do think there's something out there. I said, well, Wendy, I've got this little booklet. It's called The Story. And it asks the four questions that every culture asks. Where do we come from? What went wrong? Is there any hope? Is anybody going to fix this mess? And what's the future hold? I said, you ever think about this question? She said, Oh yeah. I said, Well, here's a little booklet called The Story. I said, I want you to take a look at it, read it, and tell me what you think. So she read it pretty quickly and she goes, That's a good overview summary of the Bible, which I thought was a really interesting question, because my next question was, Have you ever read the Bible? Oh no, sir, I've never read the Bible. <laughs> I thought it's funny, she thought it was a good summary. So Good teaching point, though. Take a Bible with you, not your preaching Bible that I use like a file cabinet or your study Bible. Take a Gideon New Testament or Here's Hope New Testament. When you travel, take a Bible with you you and give away. So I pulled out a Here's Hope New Testament. I said, would you like to have a Bible? And she goes, I guess so. So being that she's an English major, never read the Bible, I explained to her, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, the Gospels, the writings of Paul. And I said, hey, when you start reading the Bible, just start in one of the Gospels and read straight through the New Testament. That'll tell you what Christianity is supposed to be about and how Christians are really supposed to act. And by the way, folks, people that don't go to church, never read the Bible, they wonder those questions. So I handed her the Bible and said, she started reading. So we're landing in Raleigh-Durham about two hours later, and I look over, and she's in chapter 19 of Matthew. I said, have you read 19 chapters? She said, yeah, remember, I'm an English major. <laughs> I don't read that fast, but that's great. What did you make of that? She said, well, this gives a great backstory to the overview story that you gave me. And folks, that's exactly what we want to do in our conversations with people, is to get them to read the Bible for themselves. Amen? Because what you and I say might be inspirational, but it's not necessarily inspired by God. But God's Word is inspired by God and has the ability to transform lives and change hearts for eternity. Amen? Amen? Amen. So encourage people in your conversations, read the Bible for themselves. That's important. That was Wendy. That was on July the 31st. And I encourage her to continue reading the Bible, give her life to Christ. We landed August 4th, just a few days later. We're down at Oak Island for vacation. We get to our beach house, and we love air conditioning in the South, don't we? (laughs) Even at the beach. It wasn't working. So they sent a guy out, and he uh, caught the house on fire, welding a copper pipe. His name was Jason. He said, would you call the fire department? I'm like, dude, you call the fire department. He got it all put out, but we had to evacuate and all that. But anyway, Jason got there at about quarter till two. He did not leave till quarter till six. And we spent about an hour and a half just talking. And I asked Jason, I said, Jason, I said, do you have any particular spiritual beliefs? And he had just moved here from California. And um, he said, no, sir, but I I really think there's something out there. And he said... "Um, But hey, I've got a lot of questions, and Kevin, he just started asking me question after question after question, and I began to explain things to him, and um, I explained to him the whole of the Bible as one, not just you need Jesus and he's the Savior, but the creation, the fall of man, the rescue, the promise that there'll be a Savior, and that we can have a happily ever after, that there's going to be a new heaven and a new earth, And when he said that, when I said that to him, he said, you know what, nobody's ever explained that, but that makes so much sense. The creation, the fall, the rescue, the restoration. Now let me stop and let me tell you something real quick. A lot of times we focus in on the gospel and we tell people you need Jesus, but they don't know who Jesus is. And we assume they believe in God, but they really don't know who God is. We can't assume that in our culture anymore. Most of you all know what I'm talking about, everything I say. You've grown up in the culture, the the church culture. Most people have not. We'll talk, touch on that in a minute. But anyway, I, I just spent a lot of time talking to uh, Jason and explaining all this to him. And so we go to the beach. We come back. It's quarter to six. I said, hey, man, why don't you come eat supper with us? He said, I'd love to do that, but I got another appointment. But can I ask you another question? And Jonathan, he'd asked me a question, shake my hand, thank me, and step back and said, can I ask you another question? And, 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 folks, here's what I'm finding with young people. If they figure out that you are safe to talk to and that you can ask questions to you and talk about the bible and talk about spiritual things they want to talk they're not going to come to church to find it out they might look at your website but they love to have conversations we're in a conversational community our society is conversational and people want to talk about spiritual things when i was a young man people said there's two things you don't talk about politics and religion guess what young people want to talk about politics and religion so let's talk about it but just keep it civil you know Agree to disagree agreeably because you're not going to agree about politics, but spiritually that's what people really need and want to talk about. So anyway, that was on August 31st, I mean, uh, August 4th, July 31st, August 4th, August 10th, we're coming back from uh, vacation, I'm pulling into my driveway, now there's a car in my driveway with a California tag, I'm like, what is up with all these California people in North Carolina? So the guy gets out of the car. His name is Kevin. I'm not making that up. His name is Kevin. And we began to talk. I said, Kevin, where are you from? And I said, what brings you to North Carolina is my first question. He said, well, I'm selling books with Southwestern books. I've been in the Garner area for 13 weeks. Today's my last day of sales. Well, Scott, I knew this is a divine appointment. You're your last day and you show up in my driveway. So uh, we started talking. I said, well, Kevin, where do you go to school? He said, I go to San Diego State University. What are you majoring in? Aerospace engineering. I thought, oh, boy, I got me a rocket scientist this time. This is going to be interesting. So when I asked him if he had any particular spiritual beliefs, he just paused for a minute and goes, you know, I'm not sure I believe anything. There might be something out there. So what do you do? I said, well, I'm a church consultant. I work with churches. I teach. I do training. And uh, I resource churches. He goes, resource them? Like, in what way? And I had an Evangel cube, if you've ever seen that, in my front seat. And I pulled it up and showed it to him. He seemed mildly interested and I said, well, uh, Kevin, I know you want to talk about your books. My wife's not going to be back for about an hour. Why don't you come back in about an hour, we'll talk. So he comes back in about an hour. We have about another 20 minutes of spiritual conversation. And then I said, Kevin, why don't you just come eat supper with us? I said, my whole family's going to be here. Everybody's coming home tonight, we'll, we'll eat supper. And he goes, I'm not supposed to do that, but what time? <laughs> <laughs> I guess he's not supposed to do that on his job, but it's his last day and do what he wants to. So I said, quarter till seven. Just show up at quarter till seven. And he spent an hour of dinner telling stories of going door to door and people holding guns to him and dogs chasing him and people slamming doors. He had us just laughing our heads off. It was crazy. He talks more than I do, if you could believe it. Uh, And so after supper, I said, Kevin, we had a lot of spiritual conversation this afternoon. What do you make of that? He goes, well, that reminds me. I got a lot of questions I want to ask you. So he started asking me questions about 8.15 or eight, uh, something about quarter till eight, and it's an hour later, it's quarter till nine, and I'm the evangelist, but I'm thinking, man, don't you have another appointment? I mean, he was wearing me out. But here's the thing that I was explaining to him, the creation, the fall of man, the rescue of Jesus, and the res- and, and the restoration. And I was giving him the overview of the Bible, and he said, you know, that makes sense. No one's ever explained that before, and I've never really thought about that like that, but the way you've put it to me, makes me think I've got some things I've got to think about. So I challenged him to consider reading the Bible for himself, give his life to Christ. And then he says to me, he said, you know that Rubik's Cube gospel thing you showed me earlier? I said, it's what he called it, Rubik's Cube gospel. I said, yeah. He said, my roommate goes to Moody Bible Institute, and we've been having this conversation all summer long. Now here's the thing, folks. If this is the cross... Some people are right here, and they're ready to be harvested when that time comes. But more people are over here. They need to get their questions answered. They need to be the teaching or the preaching of the gospel. And then far more people are over here. They need the seed sown. need to know you love them. You've invited them to church. You've given them a Bible. You've given them a gospel track, which I call a Bible study. So whether we're sowing or cultivating or harvesting, all that's an equally important part of that process of bringing people to Christ. But as you engage with people, you don't really know where they are in that process. And our goal is to move them towards the cross and towards the relationship with Christ. Amen? So just keep that in mind. And there's, there's a lot more to that that we could talk about, but I want to move on. Ecclesiastes 3.11 says, God has set eternity in the heart of every human being. So every human being knows that there's something out there and that they need to talk about that and want to talk about that. Now, look, look at this survey right here. Christian, Buddhist, Hindu, Jewish, Muslim. Notice what's checked there. None. That's not a Catholic nun. That's a N-O-N-E, none. That means they have no religious preference. Folks, that's the fastest growing grouping of religious preference in America. There's people that are none. And in some ways, that looks like a crisis that demands our attention. But in some ways, it's not such a crisis. It's actually kind of positive in one way because they're not a, a Muslim. They're not a Buddhist. They're not a Hindu. You're not trying to undo them from something. They're not anything. And, and in fact, it's, it's amazing, but... One out of five Americans kind of fit in this category. And honestly, people under 40, it's really like 40%. It's really more like two out of five. And if you did a survey around this area, you'd find that to be true. James Emery White's written a book. He just, right down the road here, he wrote a book called The Rise of the Nuns as the fastest growing religious grouping in America. And so be aware that the majority of the people around you who don't go to church have never been to church, never read the Bible. In fact, it's kind of shocking, but even in this area, 67% Two out of three people have never been to church and have no relationship with the Bible. And, and I know there's hundreds of y'all here today, and you realize you know most of the people you know are Christians, but think about when you go to Walmart or Kroger or wherever it is you're going to shop or whatever you're doing, the, the, the mass of humanity around you. When there's a race down this, right, right down here, there's a race, there's 100,000 people there, and you got to know that two out of three of them don't know Jesus, at least, just by statistics and by census numbers. So be aware that the people around you are without Christ. So that's just something to think about. Now, look at this right here. Most people say they're not looking for religion, and guess what? They're not. They were looking for relationship with Jesus. How many of y'all have ever been to the state fair in Raleigh? Some of you have. If you've ever waited in line for ice cream, there's this homemade ice cream thing. My wife always waits in line, and I always go to Butcher Brothers right across from it, get me a steak sandwich or a death dog, as my wife calls them. They're sausage dogs. And I I get that and wait for her, and I sit down. Well, a couple years ago, uh, I went, and I sat down with my sandwich, and this couple comes and sits down. The guy's got perfect Jesus hair. He's in a three-piece suit, handkerchief, vest. And it turns out it's his wife. She's all dressed up. And I'm thinking to myself, being master of the obvious, and I said to him, I said, my, you're really dressed up. (laughs) What's the occasion? I thought he was going to say he was an entertainer or something like that, and with an accent, he goes, we just got married. I said, married, really? Where? And he goes, in Sanford, and I said, you came up US 1 to Raleigh? He said, yes. I said, well, I noticed his name was Colin. I said, Colin, I noticed you have an accent. Where are you from? I'm from United Kingdom. I said, well, you don't sound like you're from London. He goes, that's very good. He said, I'm from Wales. How would you know that? I said, I studied at University of London one summer, and you just didn't sound like a Londoner. And he said, well, you're very good. And I said, I had a professor in seminary. Uh, He was from Wales, and his children's names were Gwenfair and Merwin. He goes, oh, very Welsh names. So we're just connecting about what little things I could think about Welsh. I didn't want to start off with the Welsh revival. That was the only other thing I thought about. (laughs) And so I'm talking to Colin, and, and, um, and his father-in-law sits down, retired Army guy, and he's like super serious, and he is really giving me the checkout eye, you know, like, is this a Bible thumper kind of person? So we just started talking, he introduced his wife, she sat down, and so I asked him, I said, well, normal conversation. I said, um, Colin, I said, how did you all meet? He goes, at university. And then I just asked the next most obvious question, university. I said, where did you go? He said, Sheffield University in England. I said, well, what did you major in? Philosophy. I said, what about her? Philosophy. I said, well, who's your favorite philosopher? He goes, Immanuel Kant. I thought, ooh, that's like a German atheist. I'm not sure about that. And I was hoping he'd say, you know, Kierkegaard or somebody. But uh, then I said to him, I said, well, let me ask you something. I said, do you ever think about spiritual things? He sits up real proper like he goes, I believe in God, but I don't believe in organized religion. And he looks at his brand new wife and goes, what do you think about that? I'm like, dude, isn't that a little late for that question? She's a little bit more indignant. She goes, well, I believe in God, too, but I don't believe in organized religion. So I start laughing. By the way, you can tell people anything you want to while you're laughing. Amen? That softens everything. I caught the Mary Poppins method. With a little sugar, the medicine goes down. Amen? So I just started laughing. I said, that's funny. I said, I'm a church consultant, and I don't believe in organized religion either. I said, organized religion is man's way of trying to organize or relate to God. I said, but God's real way of relating to us is through relationship through a person, through Jesus. I said, let me show you something. So I go to my phone, and by the way, in the breakout, I'll teach you all this. I go to my phone, and I, I go straight to the, the app, and I ask him these four questions. I said, have you ever thought about these questions? How did it all begin? What went wrong? Is there any hope? What was the future hope? He goes, oh, yes, all the time. And I said, well, the answer to that is the creation, the fall of man, the rescue, and the restoration. They were wide open. And I'll tell more about that story later. In fact, I'll finish this story in my breakout. But the the bottom line in it that I wanted you to get out of it is that they are not looking for religion. They are looking for relationship. And that's what all people are looking for. Now, religion has its place, and I understand that. I'm not against religion. But organized religion is like how we organize things to relate to God. He relates to us through relationship. Now, where are your friends? Your friend, your relative, your associate, your neighbor. Are they a zero? They have no relationship with the Lord? Or are they a 10? Are they a born again believer? Where are they in that process? Well, most of us who grew up in the 70s and 80s, even if you didn't go to church, you were an eight on the scale. But most of our culture today is actually like a three on the scale. They don't have any relationship, they're a nun. Now, as we begin to talk to people, you want to kind of think about where people are and where are they in that process. Are they an eight and they believe in, in God? Let, let's, let's take this example. Let's say back in the 1970s and 80s, if you had a revival at your church or a crusade in your town, everybody in town would come. And everybody in town, even if they go to church, is an eight on the scale. Here in North Carolina, they believe in God, and they've heard about Jesus. They just need to accept him. Even the town drunk would show up. He knows you're praying for him. He knows people are talking about him. But guess what? He's an eight on the scale, too, because he believes in God, and he knows he needs Jesus. And that's where people are. But our culture, it looks a lot more like a three today. Now, when you put this in Scripture, and this is what I want you to see today, Acts 2 and Acts 17. In Acts chapter 2, Peter, the evangelist, when he gets up to preach, He starts with Jesus, he preaches Jesus, he ends with Jesus, and 3,000 people get saved. But who is his audience? His audience are devout Jews. They already believe in God, and they believe a Messiah's coming. So they're an eight on the scale. But then you take Paul. When you get over to Acts chapter 17, Paul has to to take much more of a missionary approach to things. Because when he gets over there, he realizes that these people don't even know who God is. So when he begins to preach to them, he doesn't start with Jesus. He starts with the meta-narrative. He starts with the entire, entirety of the Bible, and he takes them from creation to resurrection. Now, let me, let me put a point down here and say something. How do children's stories start off? Little children's stories, they all start off how? Once upon a time. Well, the Bible starts off, Genesis 1-1, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. It's once upon a time. Now, how do all little children's stories end? And they all <laughs> lived happily ever after. Well, guess what? We live in a world that wants happily ever after. We as human beings are built for happily ever after. But we all wonder, is it even possible? And especially if you're not a believer in Jesus, you wonder if happily ever after could ever happen. The good news that you and I have to share with people around us is that yes, in God's word, and God's story, there is a happily ever after. Because you and I individually can be made right with, reconciled through Christ, through the cross, with God. But also, there's going to be a new heaven and a new earth. This whole thing's going to get recycled. Amen? And so, when you can put the gospel, the good news of Jesus, his life, his death, his resurrection, in the context of the whole of the story, it makes a lot of sense. And we're built for that. And people want to know that. So, just keep that in mind as you do it. Now, I want you just to see something. If you've got your Bibles, we're going to jump in. And we're going to hit Acts chapter 2 very quickly. And then we're going to look at Acts chapter 17. Acts chapter 2 is Pentecost. Can't understate this or overstate this. The power of the Holy Spirit moves. Let's look at this very quickly. Acts chapter 2, beginning with verse 1. It says, The day of Pentecost had come, and they were all together in one place. And suddenly there came from heaven a noise like a violent rushing wind. It filled the whole house where they were sitting. And there appeared to them as tongues as a fire, distributing themselves, and they rested on each one of them. Verse 4, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit was giving them utterance. Verse 5, now there were Jews living in Jerusalem, devout men from every nation under heaven. This verse 5, devout Jews, this is who the audience is. So just skipping along, Peter stands up in verse 14 and he begins to speak. And he said, men of Judea and all who live in Jerusalem. So he's addressing who his audience is. He gives them some Old Testament background. He begins to preach. Verse 22, Acts 222, men of Israel, he's specifically talking to the Jewish people in a lot of ways. Men of Israel, listen to these words Jesus the Nazarene, a man attested to you by God, and miracles and wonders and signs which God performed through him in your midst, just as you yourselves know. This man was delivered over by a predetermined plan and the foreknowledge of God. You nailed him to a cross by the hands of godless men and put him to death, but God raised him up again. He goes straight to the core of the gospel in his preaching. And then when you get over to the summary, he has a summary statement. Verse 36, Acts 2, verse 36, after he's preached to them, therefore, let all the house of Israel know for certain that God has made him both Lord and Christ, this Jesus whom you've crucified. Folks, this one verse is packed. He's made him Lord and Christ. He's made him Lord, which is Adonai, which is the the summary translation word for Yahweh, which is saying he's God in the flesh, but he's also Christos, he's the Messiah, he's the one you've been waiting for. So he's God in the flesh and he's the Messiah. And the Holy Spirit's at work and they're overwhelmed by this. And then they say in verse 37, now when they heard this, they were pierced to their hearts. They said to Peter and the rest of the brethren, brethren, what shall we do? Folks, every single one of us has got to come to that place in our personal life where we realize we've got to do something with Jesus. We've got to respond to Jesus. And I hope you've come to that place and you're not just 18 inches away from heaven. You have the head knowledge, but you've never surrendered in your heart. Very quick story, 13 years old, going to church, reading the Bible under conviction, felt like an elephant sitting on me. My mom made an appointment with the pastor. He went through the four spiritual laws with me, explained to me, Marty, you know God loves you? Yes, sir. You know you're a sinner? Yes, sir. Do you know you need Jesus? He's your only payment provision for your sin. Yes, sir. Do you know you need to receive him? John 1:12. Yes, sir. You ready to pray? Yes, sir. I was at this place where I felt like something had to happen. I felt like an elephant was sitting on me. But the pastor had great wisdom. Even though I prayed with him and I agreed with everything he said to me, He said, now, Marty, I want you to go home, pray your own prayer and your own words, and surrender your life. That's where a lot of people are missing heaven. We got the head knowledge, but we've never surrendered. We didn't come to that that moment in time where we realized we've got to respond. We've got to receive Jesus. We can't just know about him. We've got to respond to him. And these guys did. So I hope that you are not 18 inches away from heaven, but you've truly surrendered. Because when it goes on in verse 37, I've read this already. Now when they heard this, they were pierced to their heart. They said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, brethren, what shall we do? Verse 38, Peter says to them, repent, let each one of you be baptized in the name of Jesus for the forgiveness of your sins, and you shall receive the gift. The of the Holy Spirit. Verse 41 said there were 3,000 souls out of this day. Now, when you think about this chart, these folks were an eight. That's what They already believed in God. They were looking for a Messiah. When they heard the gospel of Jesus, they responded. 3,000 people came to Christ. Now, flip over with me, if you will, to chapter 17 of Acts, and we're going to look at it in a whole different way. See, Peter's kind of the evangelist versus Paul the missionary. And we have got to think of ourselves more like Acts 17, more like the missionary. Now, Acts chapter 17, let me give a little background here. Paul, first of all, he goes to Thessalonica, and he goes and preaches in the synagogue, and they gets kicked out. The religious Jews didn't really want to hear what he had to say. Then he goes to Berea, verses 10 and 11. It says the Berean Christians were more noble-minded. They wanted to search the scriptures to see what he's talking about was true. Then he gets to Athens. Now, let me set this up with us. How many of y'all have been to Washington, D.C. before? Been to Washington, D.C. Most everybody has, and even if you hadn't been, you can picture what I'm talking about. You picture the mall in Washington. And and you've got the the Lincoln Memorial and the Jefferson Memorial, and you've got the Washington Monument and the the Capitol building and all those war memorials. World War I, II, um, Korean War, the Vietnam Wall, that stuff will move you. When you and I go to visit those things, we go as a tourist, we're taking it in for our own information. Now, let's take that same scenario and let's put ourselves in Athens. And let's think about Paul. Paul's wandering around doing exactly what we would be doing in Washington, D.C. He's looking at all the monuments. He's looking at the statues. He's looking at the idols. And he comes up to this idol and it says, or a statue, and it says, to an unknown God. And Paul realizes, okay, that's my point of contact. They don't know who God is. So when I begin to explain this to them, I just can't start with the gospel. I've got to start with the whole of creation and take them from creation to resurrection. So I want you to see that. And this is a great example of conversational evangelism, marketplace evangelism. So we pick it up in verse 16, Acts chapter 17, verse 16. Hear God's word. Now, while Paul was waiting for them at Athens, his spirit was being provoked within him. He was observing a city full of idols. So he was reasoning in the synagogue with the Jews and the God-fearing Gentiles. He was in the marketplace every day with those who happened to be present. He was doing marketplace evangelism. Verse 18, and also there were some Epicurean and Stoic philosophers who were conversing with him. And some were saying, what would this idol babbler wish to say? Others said, he seems to be a proclaimer of strange deities, Because he was preaching Jesus in the resurrection. Now, let me stop right there and just unpack this a minute. He's talking to Jews and Gentiles, which are people from Jew and Gentile, all different cultures. He's also talking to people of all different philosophical persuasions, the the, uh, Epicureans and the Stoics. The Epicureans are the eat, drink, and be merry, for tomorrow we die. You know, they'd be happy people. Pharrell Williams is a music composer. He's got this song, Happy, Happy, Happy. I like it. It's a fun song. He's probably an Epicurean. Then you get to the Stoics. And those are just the facts, Jack. Just give me the the information. Just give me the bottom line. So he's got the the Epicureans. He's got the Stoics. He's got all kinds of philosophical perspectives. He's got Jews and Gentiles. The point of this is he's talking to all kinds of people from every walk of life, of every philosophical uh, and religious persuasion. So he's talking to all kinds of people. Now, look what happens. Don't miss this. Paul is going to get invited to come and tell what it is he really believes. And that's the kind of things that we've got to keep in mind is that that's the perfect scenario. We get invited. I'm going to teach you all something. I want to tell it to you now and we'll end with it. But this is a conversational outline. Billy Graham calls it the three-story method. I call it interviewing people. But you listen to their story without interruption or argument or debate. Just listen to their story so that you can tell them your story So that you can tell them his story. Amen. Now say that with me. Say their story. story. My story. story. And his story. story. That's what I want you to take away from this. As an application. And hopefully you'll be able to get that. Because in a lot of ways. That's kind of what Paul's doing. He's talking with all these people. He's engaging with them. He gets invited up to the Areopagus. Which is what we call Mars Hill. And that's the perfect situation. He gets invited to come and explain. what What he's been talking about. So. Here we go. We pick it up in verse 19. And they took him and brought him to the Areopagus, Mars Hill, saying, May we know this new teaching which you're proclaiming, for you're bringing some strange things to our ears, and we want to know, therefore, what these things mean. Verse 21 says, Now all the Athenians and strangers visiting used to spend their time in nothing other than telling or hearing something new. Now his sermon starts, verse 22, the sermon on Mars Hill, as we call it. So Paul stood in the midst of the Areopagus. He said, Men of Athens, I observe that you're very religious in all respects. For while I was passing through, examining the objects of your worship, I found an altar with this inscription, to an unknown God. Therefore, what you worship in ignorance, this I proclaim to you. And then he's going to begin to preach, but what I want you to notice, he doesn't start with the gospel of Jesus, he starts with the creation, and he talks about an all-sufficient God, amen? Verse 24, the God who made the world and all things in it, since he is Lord of heaven and earth, he does not dwell in temples made with human hands, nor is he served by human hands as though he needed anything, since he himself gives to all people life and breath and all things. Say this with me. He's the all-sufficient God. You ready? He's the all-sufficient God. Verse 26, and he made from the one man every nation of mankind to live on the face of the earth, having determined their appointed times and the boundaries of their habitation. that They would seek God, and if perhaps they might grope for him and find him, though he is not far from each one of us. Now, here he's going to engage culture again, and this is our culture. We have people all around us that feel like God is inaccessible. He's, he's out there somewhere, but I can't talk to him. I can't reach him. He's too far away. But the reality is God is omnipresent. He's everywhere. And Paul's going to remind them. And he's going to use the poets in their culture. He's going to engage culture to say, hey, your poets know about this. They write about it. So look at what he says in verse um, 28. For in him we live and move and exist. Even some of your own poets have said, for we're his children, we're his offspring. Verse 29, being then the offspring or children of God, we ought not to think of the divine natures like gold or silver or stone or an image formed by the arts or by the thought of man. Verse 30, therefore, having overlooked the times of ignorance, God is now declaring to men, to all people, everywhere should repent because he has fixed a day in which he will judge the world in righteousness through a man whom he has appointed, having furnished proof to all men by raising him from the dead. So he goes from, cre- uh, from creation all the way to resurrection. Now he's going to get three responses, which is similar to our culture today. If you're sharing the gospel with somebody, you're going to get one of these three responses. Notice verse 32. Now when they heard about the resurrection from the dead, some began to sneer. They mocked him. But others said, hey, we shall hear you again concerning this. Verse 33, so Paul went out of their midst, but some men joined them, and they believed. Among them were Dionysius, the Areopagite, and a woman named Damaris, and others with them. May God add his blessing, our understanding, and obedience to his word. Now, let's unpack that a little bit. Those three responses. Some mocked him, said, hey, I don't want to hear that. Some said, I'll hear you again. And then some believed. Remember sowing, cultivating, and harvesting? Now, in Acts chapter 2, 3,000 people were harvested. But here, only it names two and maybe a few others. And that's more like our culture today. And when I'm engaging in conversations with people, the thing I find most of the time is that second group. Hey, tell me more. Explain more. I was at Chewy's Mexican Restaurant on a Monday, uh, eating lunch with Steve Noble. He has a radio show. He's on every day from 4 to 5. He's a seminary grad from Southeastern in ethics. He's kind of a Christian Rush ball. He has Theology Thursdays and Free for All Fridays. He's a crazy good guy. And so... Our waiter comes up to us. He's got his name tag on. It says Laith, L-A-I-T-H. I I said, Laith, is that an Irish name or a Scottish name? He goes, actually, it's Arabic. I said, really? That's interesting. What's your background? He goes, well, my mother's a Christian. She's from the United States. My dad's a Muslim. He's from the Middle East. So Steve interjects and says, so what do you believe? He goes, I don't really believe either one. I respect them, but I don't believe them. I said, well, um, Laith, I've got this little booklet here called The Story, and it asks the four questions that every culture asks. And, um, and I said, take a look and tell us what you think. He kind of looked at us kind of oddly, and he looks at the book, and he walks off. A few minutes later, he comes back, and he puts his hands on our table, and he leans over and said, hey, can I ask you some questions about Satan and angels? We answered his questions. Thanks. He walks off. A few minutes later, he comes back, and he pulls up a chair. And he literally just sits down. I don't know where to sit in here, but he just sits down and... Um, got me a stool. My barry stool, John. He just sits down and he puts his hands on the table and said, Hey, can I, can I talk to you about spiritual things? Sure. This is 115 on a Monday afternoon in Chewy's Mexican Restaurant. But not only does Lath join us, Aubrey, who's got the tables around us, she's wrapping up her tables. She's an NC State student. She comes and sits down. Can I join you? Sure. Will, the busboy, has cleaned three tables around us twice now and nobody sat down. He's just listening. He never says a word. He just sits down. Guy comes around the corner. She motions for him to come over. Uh, it's Aubrey's brother, Bo. She said, sit down. What are you doing? Having a spiritual conversation. Join us. So for the next 42 minutes, we are talking about grace and mercy. We share our testimony. We talk about the difference between uh, cultural Christianity, which people have seen, and spiritual biblical Christianity, which is what they really want to know about. We had an incredible conversation. And then I asked them, I said, hey, if you don't mind me having your email, I'll just send this to you. It's a phone app. It's a six-minute video. It gives an overview of the whole Bible in six minutes. It's in 22 languages. Sure. They gave me the email. Sent it to them. So we go back a month later to follow up. And I ask him, Are any of these people here today? Nope, none of them are here today except for Bo. I said, Oh, can you put me in his section? He said, um, Yes. So he puts me in his section. Bo comes around, he sees me, he starts grinning. I said, Do you remember me? <clears throat> he said, Oh, yeah, we had a great conversation in the corner of there about a month ago. I said, I hope you don't mind. I asked to be put in your section. He said, Oh, no, I was looking forward to talking with you. And, uh, and we ended up talking to Bo for 45 minutes. Turns out he's transferring from UNC Wilmington back to state, he wants to be an actor. <clears throat> And uh, we talk about Christian movies and Christian actors. So anyway, uh, we got to share the gospel with all these people. Now, here's the thing: I want you to see, it's all conversation. It's all conversation. We didn't beat them up. We didn't preach to them. We didn't tell them where they're going to go if they don't straighten out. They kind of get that. They get that in the in the gospel. They get that in the process, and they already kind of know that they're not right. So those are things just to keep in mind as we engage people, listen to their story. Now, pull this back up. <clears throat> I was at a Duke Carolina football game uh, a couple years ago. And this lady was sitting beside me, a little space between us. Her name was like Anna Ratna. And I thought she was probably from India, but I don't assume anything. I just asked her where she's from. And I got this long pause. And I, and, oh, no, I first asked her if she went to Carolina. and She said, yeah. And she said, uh, I said, what would you major in? She said, um, uh, computer graphics uh, communication. I said, are you doing anything with that now? She said, yeah, I work at Duke. I said, really? A Carolina grad working at Duke. How's that working for you? And she said, it's all right. Private schools pay more. so I said who are you pulling for and she said Carolina she kind of whispered that I think the girl with her was a Duke fan so when I asked her I said so where are you from I get this long pause and then she goes well my family's from India I said oh that's interesting I said "Uh, do you have any particular spiritual beliefs long pause she didn't say anything and I realized that made her uncomfortable so I just carried the conversation a little bit I said oh I asked that to everybody I'm a church consultant I'm fascinated by what people believe and I was just curious about what you believe she said, oh, we're Hindu. And then she starts talking. I said, tell me about that. What are some of your beliefs? She's talking up a storm. And so I pull out my phone after I finally got to talk and got to the gospel. And I said, do Hindus ever think about these questions? And she looked at me and she said, sir, every culture thinks about these questions. And so I got to share the gospel using my phone with her. And so I'm trying to give you 0 vignettes of conversations you engage, but it's pretty amazing. I know we've got to wrap things up, but keep in mind that God has set eternity in the heart of every human being. Blaise Pascal was a French mathematician, theologian in the 1600s. He wrote a book called Penses, which is his thoughts, and he made this statement. He said, in the heart of every human being is a God-shaped vacuum that can only adequately and accurately be filled with Jesus Christ. So, it's a fair statement to say that everybody's looking for Jesus, even if they don't know it or feel like it. Ravi Zacharias said, The world doesn't have coherent answers to all the questions. The situation is ripe for evangelism. Now, if most of you probably don't remember me, but if you've heard me speak before, you've heard me make this statement true evangelism, sharing the good news, is an act of compassion, not an act of aggression. It's caring about a soul. Amen. And people pick up on that real quickly whether you care about them or not, or whether you're just trying to do something to them or get something from them. That's why when you keep it a conversation, you listen to their story without interruption or argument, uh, they want to know, so what's your story? And and it's kind of like Paul in Acts 17, you get to talk. So keep in mind that true evangelism is an act of compassion, not an act of aggression. And people need to hear the whole story. The whole gospel puts it all together. It makes sense from the once upon a time to the happily ever after. But the gospel's the one thing that answers all the questions. Now. You don't have a, a, an outline or handout with you, but uh, the three circles life conversation guide, I'm going to talk about that, but I'm going to draw it for you in visual, if you can follow me right here. If you see this big circle here, this is God's design. God created everything, it was perfect. But Adam and Eve sinned and brought a curse, brought a brokenness on the earth. So you've got God's perfect design, and you've got the brokenness of humanity and man. But the solution to this brokenness is the gospel. And the gospel is down here, so you've got three circles. You've got... God's design, man's brokenness, and the gospel of Jesus Christ. The perfect life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. Well, how do we move from our brokenness to the gospel? We have to repent and turn from our sin, put our faith in the gospel. And then once we do that, we can restore and recover God's design. And those three circles are framed by what I've been talking about. The creation, the fall of man, the rescue of Jesus, and the restoration. Amen? And so these are things you can draw on a piece of paper. You can use a book. You can use your iPad. You can use your phone. You can use Facebook. I'll talk about that later, but I want you to be aware of that. Now, we need to wrap this thing up. Three-story method. Good, fun story. Listen to their story. Tell them your story. Tell them his story. We're in Nashville, Tennessee. There's nine of us from the convention. It's quite an international group of us, actually. Three Anglo guys like me, and the rest are Honduras, uh, Korea, uh, Dominican Republic. Um, We're quite a diverse group. So anyway, We all decided to go eat Mexican, (laughs) and the the hotel said, hey, we got a shuttle, and we'll take you wherever you want to go, so Eddie Thompson and I sat up front with the bus driver. Typically, I like to talk to people, engage them, so his name's Thurman. He's about 40 years old. Thurman, are you a native Nashvilleian? Oh, yes, sir. I said, are you a Titans fan? Oh, yeah, I never miss a home game, got season tickets, so we talked about the Titans. Then I said, hey, Thurman, I said, have you ever heard of Thurman Munson? He said, you talking about the Yankees catcher back in the 70s? He said, now I know your age. He said, it's always guys your age that ask me if I remember Thurman Munson. You know, so anyway, we had a fun, chummy conversation. Then I asked Thurman my favorite question. So, Thurman, do you have any particular spiritual beliefs? When I asked this question, folks, you thought I'd flip the light switch. This guy got completely mad. His disposition changed, his voice changed, and the whole situation became ominous. When I said, so Thurman, do you have any particular spiritual beliefs? He goes, I'm a Wiccan. I mean, just like this bad spirit came out. And this guy was mad and everybody on the bus was thinking, Marty has made the driver mad. That's exactly what Marty was thinking too. I've made this driver mad. But I just interviewed him. Just stay calm. Just interview people. Let them talk. I said, Thurman, that's interesting. Tell me, what are some of your beliefs as a Wiccan? I believe in gods and goddesses. And he went on and ran about that. And, And then I said, well... Have you ever read the Bible? Oh, I know all about the Bible. All religious books are fairy tales written by men. And he went on and ran about that. So then in a general way, I just said, so what are some things you know about the Bible? He said, I know about Constantine, the 66th canonical text, and Constantine put the Bible together. True. And Constantine was the first pope. Not true. But anyway, I didn't argue with him. I just let him talk. And then he started in, Scott, on everything wrong with the church. And I mean, he was naming everything wrong with the church. About number five, I was kind of nodding my head. Yeah, Christians don't always act like we're supposed to. And he was just banging, bang, 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 bang. He was in fight mode the whole time. I didn't argue with him. I didn't give him anything. I just prayed. And and by the way, you know, a good soldier does two things you prepare for battle, make sure you got plenty of ammo. I got cards in my pocket, I got tracks in my pocket. I got all that stuff with me. I'm ready. But I didn't give him anything because he's vested in what he believes, and only the Holy Spirit can work in this. So you can only pray. So we get off the bus, we go eat Mexican, we get back on the bus, and Thurman has turned back in to Mr. Howdy Doody. And he says to me, I like the way you talk to me. I mainly listened, but I like the way you talk to me. And he repeated it. And I said, Thurman, what do you mean by that? He said, well, he said, are you a preacher? I said, well, as a matter of fact, I am. I'm also a church consultant. I try to help churches do the things you said we didn't do very well. He said, well, the next time you're in a church, you tell them to talk to people like you talk to me. And what he meant, by that was I was respectful to him. I didn't agree with him. I was just respectful to him. But I'm still interviewing. So I said, what do you mean by that, Thurman? He goes, the most time when I run to a Christian, especially a preacher, and I tell them I'm a wicked, they tell me I'm wrong and I'm going to hell. He said, but you didn't do that. He says, as a matter of fact, why didn't you do that? I said, well, Thurman, one of the things I've discovered is I can't change your heart. Only God can change your heart if he wants to and if you're willing to let him. He goes, you might be right about that. I'm thinking, dude, I know I'm right about that. <clears throat> so by this time, we're almost back to the bus. Everybody gets off. Eddie Thompson stays with me. Pray for me. And he says, so what's your story? So I told him my story of how I came to Christ at 13 surrendered my life to Christ. A little bit of what I told you earlier. So then he says to me, so what do you believe? Well, I said, have you ever heard of Billy Graham? He said, oh, yeah, everybody's heard of Billy Graham. So um, not really. But I pulled out my favorite little Bible study called Steps to Peace with God. And I handed it to him, and I began to explain it to him. And I love the analogy that's in this, because it shows if this is God and this is man, there's a big gap between us and God. And we're trying to reach God through being good, by being religious, having a good philosophy, going to church, but how all those things fall short, and it shows how the cross is the bridge. The cross is the bridge between God and man. And so I'm going through this booklet with him, and he's turning the pages, and we're about halfway through, and he said, I really like the way you're doing this. I almost laughed out loud. I'm thinking, here you are, you were mad a minute ago, and now you like the way I'm sharing the gospel with you, and you're reading the gospel for yourself. So we get to the prayer, how to pray, and I said, you know, that's very similar to how I prayed, there's nothing magical about the words. I said, but when you get to that place, Thurman, when you're ready to ask Christ into your life, this is an example of how you could pray. He kind of snickered a little, but he enjoyed this, and he said, I really learned a lot today, I like the way you did that. I said, well, I've learned a lot today, too. And, I, and to make a, we talked a little bit, and I said, well, I said, before I leave, i got a challenge for you. He goes, what's that? I said, do you have a Bible? And he goes, I might have a Bible. I'm thinking, I know you got a Bible. You kind of already told me. I said, well, here's my challenge to you. I want you to ask God, the God of creation, if he's really real, that he'll reveal himself to you. I said, now you're going to have to put aside all your bad experience with church folks, all religions, just put everything aside that you've ever thought about or believed or argued with. Just put all that aside and just ask God if the God of creation is really real to reveal himself to you. Take your Bible, put it in the reading room when you're in there in the morning. It only takes five minutes to read a chapter in the Bible. Starting in one of the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, or John. Read straight through the New Testament. That'll tell you what Christianity is really about and how Christians are supposed to act. I said, but five minutes a day. I said, you think you can do that? He goes, That's a good challenge. I can do that. I might do that. And I said, well, good. Really enjoyed this. Got to go. I know you got to go. One more thing before I leave. Can I pray for you? Oh, no, I'm good. He wasn't going to let me pray for him. Uh, But folks, the three-story method, you listen to their story, you tell them your story, you tell them his story. Amen. Say it with me one more time. Say their story, my story, and his story. There's an outline for conversation, for interview. And it's just like Paul. Paul's walking around talking to everybody. He's sharing his story. They're sharing his story. Then he gets invited. So come tell us what it is you really believe. That's exactly what happened with uh, Thurman in Nashville. And that can happen to you. As you engage people, you know, people always, I'll talk more about this later, but uh, people always want to know how do you engage conversation. I usually ask people, what's your name and where are you from? That's kind of how I start. And then I let them talk. And then I say, hey, do you have any particular spiritual beliefs? I ask that very casually without a real heavy agenda. Just want to tell them about Jesus. Just want to sow a seed. Remember, sometimes you're sowing, sometimes you're cultivating, sometimes you're harvesting. But the Holy Spirit has to do the work. You're his instrument. Amen? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for this day, for this time, for this opportunity. Father, I pray right now knowing that in the hearing of my voice, there's somebody who's never really surrendered to Jesus for the first time. They're 18 inches away from heaven. They may have a knowledge, but they've not had the surrender. They've not had salvation. So Father, if there's somebody here today that needs to surrender to Jesus for the first time, may they do so. May they pray and ask for forgiveness and ask you to come into their life and turn their life over to you, Lord, and ask you to forgive them and cleanse them and make you the person that you want them to be and may they be filled with your spirit. Father, some of us are here today and we just need to be refreshed. We need to renew ourselves. We need to surrender in a fresh way and say, Lord, I want to be on mission with you. I want to be on mission for you. I want to be your missionary, your ambassador, your representative to my neighbors, to my friends, to my associates, uh, to my relatives. And Father, all of us have a friend, a relative, associate, a neighbor that we need to be praying for, that we need to be holding before your throne. So may we come to this altar this morning and pray for that friend, that relative, that associate, that neighbor. Father, move our hearts to be obedient to whatever you have called us to do. We commit this time to you in Jesus' name. Have your way. Amen. Amen. Folks, this is our time of commitment. This is our time of response. Amazing grace, the chains are gone. Uh, Pastor Scott will be down front as Jonathan comes to lead us. Uh, this altar is open. Maybe you've got a decision you need to make privately, maybe publicly to share with Pastor Scott. But I'm invite all of you. Please stand, if you will, and come to this altar. Pray for that friend, that relative, that associate, that neighbor that God has put on your heart. You come now.